Today's interview with DJ Hixie is dedicated to DJ Squaddy. He was Hixie's close friend, a friend to many people in the hardcore scene, and a great talent, and was sadly taken too soon. It's it, It's been a very strange few weeks. Um, I got a call early, early in the morning from um, Mike Descala, Recon, um, and that that we we were sort of waiting for for a bit more news, and unfortunately it was true. Um, and it's just since then it's just it's it's a very bizarre feeling. Um, you know, I I I, I just we, we just couldn't place it, uh, and he's going to be massively just missed so much. I mean, from the, from the early get go of of me meeting Squaddy. And coming into contact with him um, again, Mickey Recon had only just started wanting to do sort of hardcore. So I'd gone up um, to uh, Recon Studio at the time was above Three Beat Records in Liverpool, and we were there. And um, Wayne come, but when I say bounding through the door, he come bounding through the door, um, and Mick had sort of introduced him as. You know, he was doing all this Scouse House stuff and he came in, he played me some of it. And then he, he was the sort of same. He was just like, mate, I love all the hardcore stuff. I love this, this, this. And he's like, I- I'm going to just do this. You know, I'm going to crack on and I'm going to do some stuff. And I was just like, of course. You know what I mean, this sounds brilliant. I'd love to hear it. And, you know, everyone can hear what he did. You know, that was his, that, those those early tracks were his first efforts. And he, and he just breezed it you know he just done it so well and the one thing I've always said is what was so magical about him was and this I think is key to any artist that that um establishes himself as a as a, a real sort of part of a scene and he had just a unique sound and you know it because people wanted to replicate it and it, again it goes back to almost what I was saying with the force and styles kick drums and Scott Brown's noises and things like that Squaddy's offs, his, his bases, everyone was trying to replicate. You know, people were asking, how's he doing this? How's he doing that? And he had a knack of getting vocals just sounding unbelievable. You know, they were bouncing, you, you know, everything about it. And I had uh, one of the issues, again, as back as a sort of promoter, when, when you um, had artists all on a, a label that had a what people would bundle in as a sound if we did a night where we had to put people in a row i had no worries about putting squaddy on after darren or breezy or mick or anyone because he just had his own sounds you know and um he's just going to be massively missed he was just ge- genuine you know genuine and and um just a lovely fella and that that's been the the other thing i know people always say you know when when people tragically pass away um but some of the stories that have come out about him that i didn't know that i've read online have just some made me laugh and some made me like really tear up and just think oh but it was just hearing them stories again just made me realize that yeah he he was just that type of character that was just unreal and he could honestly turn a track round in hours that would take me months, you know, and it, it's, it sends stuff through to you and you just think, Oh, and that was what was just genius about him. And it wasn't just the, the hardcore stuff he was good at. The scout house stuff he put out was just so iconic. You know, it's, it will just stand the test of time. And that, that, that's the, the, the nicest bit that you can take from all of this tragedy of it all. And the, the sadness of it all that, that, 
legacy he's left with his music will live forever. Your name's not Dan, you're not coming in. Hello, you're listening to uh, Raw, the 90s Ray podcast with me, Tom Latcham. Well, my guest today is one of the undoubted kings of late 90s happy hardcore, and he's a little bit bonkers. Well, he is, in so much as he created the famous compilation album, loved by tens of thousands of ravers who saw him smash up the dance floors of Dreamscape, Hardcore Heaven, Helter Skelter, Slam and Vinyl, United Dance, and many others. He's lived through the birth, the death, the rebirth and the arguable death again of four beat hardcore in the UK and his 1995 hits track uh, Toy Town certainly divides opinion of which more later. So let's welcome to Raw the happy hardcore Don. It's DJ Hicksie, a.k.a. Ian Hicks. How you doing, Ian? You're right, mate. All good, mate. All good. Thank you. Thank you. It wasn't nice. You're welcome. You're welcome. How have you been? I mean, because I suppose this is... Uh, I, I you wear you've got a nice haircut. Yeah, no, I, I made sure I was up at silly o'clock yesterday and stood in a queue of people. About well, I got there for quarter to eight in the morning, and then believe it or not, was people still queuing. I thought, <laughs> no, my hair just looked awful, and just luckily, I, I am grey. I am grey, but if I cut my hair, the top isn't quite grey yet, but the sides, I just look like. Oh, it was horrible. So, well, yeah. you look, you look, you look good to us. And by the way, the reason why I was saying this is because it's not going to go out instantly. This is the first day, that, uh, or this is the second day when you're able to have your haircut after the lockdown. So, well, it's nice that you felt that you were coming on Raw, Ian, and that you were going to look 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 pretty for us. So, uh, thank you very <laughs> much. We, yeah, we're honoured. We're honoured. Think of it that way round, but actually, the time of it was good. But honestly, that date couldn't have come quick enough. My hair, it was. I just it looked awful. So. <laughs> Good man. Well, listen, you look fantastic and thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. So, Ian, when ravers think of 90s happy hardcore, no matter who they are, your name is almost always the first that comes to the forefront of their minds. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. Though. I, I think there was a collection of, of DJs and producers around then that, um, you, you know, we, we, we were lucky that we were all producing a lot of us sort of all came together as, as a group i suppose not producing together but we um shared dub plates we were sending promos to each other um and it just sort of changed that as the scene was sort of evolving and there was the, the definite sort of split with the more jungle drum and bass side of things and then there was a more definite four four there you know you can almost sort of pinpoint a, a period where it was getting like that. And the people that went on the more 4-4 and the pianos and the vocals and the, the beginnings of Happy Hardcore, um, yeah, we was all, I don't know, just in and around each other's business, I suppose. And, yeah, I'm just lucky to be part of that sort of group. There, There is a definite sort of bundle of DJs that were, you know, all running labels at the time. We were all going to uh, Music House, getting our dub plates, Carton JTS. Um, and, yeah, it was a really... Just exciting time because everything was sort of evolving and there was a lot of stuff changing and different areas of, of the sort of country were opening up to sort of the happy hardcore, beginnings of happy hardcore. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it is nice to be bundled into that that little group. I don't think you're bundled in, mate. I think you're uh, sat atop the pile. Um, and if, if Slipmat created 
the happy hardcore sound as we sort of first came to know it with the SMDs and that combined a four beat with uh, plus a break beat with, you know, those pianos, uh, unashamedly happy sounding at a time when music, rave music was quite dark. You were one of the main drivers of that happy four beat sound. What is it about you specifically that drew you to that kind of sound? Um, always since, since I, you know, fell in love with like rave music, I suppose, or acid back. The first time I sort of heard stuff was for, via my brother. He, he had, uh, he was older than me and, uh, he ventured out and he started talking about this, you know, early acid house sort of stuff. And I always liked what was a little bit more sort of uplifting, I suppose, if it had a vocal in it, especially. And then as things progressed, even with the really early breakbeat sort of rave don, sort of the early 90s, 91, I always leaned towards not the darker side of things, I suppose. I just loved just euphoric riffs, melodies, um, you know, the, the beginnings of even like the early Prodigy stuff before they sort of broke through it was always there sort of like the melodies that I was just like, Oh my God, listen to that. Um, and I suppose I've just always sort of split as, as the music sort of split or evolved one side's gone one direction. And I've just took a course of generally what I like. And when I sort of sit in the studio, even now I, I tend to, I don't know, my ears will always sort of sway towards something that's, just got a melody to it or something to it. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Is there something in your personality that um, that lends itself to that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm quite grumpy. So I don't well, know. that's why, I, I mean, from, from my sort of limited dealings with you, over, uh, you know, it, it recently and over the years, I mean, you've said that to me before. You're like, I'm, I, I might do a grumpy old mentalist with you because I am incredibly grumpy and I've got loads to moan about. So that sort of doesn't seem to be in keeping with the hands in the air, let's hold hands yeah. together, happy yeah. hardcore sound. Yeah, no, I know. I think, um, you know, I'm not rude with it, but I'm just, I don't know. And people say to me sometimes when I'm DJing, I come off and they're like, why don't you smile? Why aren't you smiling? And I'm thinking, no, I'm all right. I'm just, I've just must have a resting grumpy face. And, you know, <laughs> that's it. And I'm, I'm quite, um, even again, back to the real early days of me starting to DJ, I was very, I didn't want this to, to, to be, I, I quite like the mysteriousness of, you know, the first time I met Carl Cox was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that's Carl Cox. Same with Slipmat, same with everyone, Ramos, all of them. When I first met them, I love that mystique of, oh my good God. And, you know, I don't know, I, I just quite liked back in the day, you'd be in a very sort of dark rave or wherever you were, not a club. And the DJ was almost a silhouette, you know, you, you didn't really sort of see it. So I, I'm I'm quite like that. I love the fact that an MC is willing to go up on our set and be the front man and do all of that. I'd rather just be like blank. So I don't know. I suppose I forget that sometimes people are sort of looking at me and I'm not the, the most energetic behind the decks. You know, I've, I've just never bought into any of that. I mean, you say that, but you are also a sometime MC, and we're going to come to that later on. So uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Word MC loosely, very. I, I wonder actually uh, whether Happy Hardcore. I mean, it had a lot of success, and then it sort of died off. I, I wonder actually whether it might have um, had a better reputation if it had been called Grumpy Hardcore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you've been one of the leading South Coast hardcore artists, which is an area that perhaps doesn't get enough credit for its development of of hardcore 
What do you think defined the South Coast sound uh, and what was its influence on, on the happy hardcore scene in the 90s? Uh, again, you know, it was a really unique hub down, down on the coast, especially from, from my point of view. You know, I, I walked into, you know, the, the record shops in Portsmouth and one of them, Fusion, um, at the time, beforehand it was Powerhouse and then it went to Movement and then um, Chris Grayston, who uh, started Fusion, uh, bought the record shop and it was just a hot, you know, it was a hive of just activity all the time. And I'd be in there you know, for the second to open till late at night and Ramos would be in there, Varna Groove would be in there, Druid, Supreme, you know, everyone would just sort of come come to and from. And, you know, out of there, again, we interlinked ideas. We was using each other's sort of, well, not my studio, but we was using the studios that everyone was using at the time, um, whether it be with Hectic, um, with Sunset Regime, who was doing bits and bobs, uh, Trixie, you know, that a little bit later on, Trixie was then opening up, uh, Jim Sullivan was opening up his studio and doing bits and bobs with Hectic, uh, and uh, RSR Records, which was where I did my first release with, was Sunset Regime. And I don't know, I suppose it, it's just one of those things when you've got, um, a lot of a lot of the stuff back then, I always believed or just had that thought of it was these little hubs of record shops. Predominantly, you know, that's where the tape packs went. That's where the new releases went. It's where everyone went. And whenever you connected with other DJs or other producers, normally they were connected to a record shop. You know, there's a lot of people that started off life, whether they were working in the record shop or own the record shop or even just in there, just sat on the set all day, just listening to what was going on. And I think with the coast. Um, you know, it was great that we had Fusion as, as a promoter. There was Adrenaline down there as well. There was one called Origin, which was more towards sort of the Worthen and Brighton way. Obviously off the back of Stearns, which was just a huge sort of imprint on the rave scene on the coast as well. And then it just sort of progressed, you know, and other, other promoters. Tasmania was another one on the, on the south coast. And, it, you know, it's mad that that sort of happened. And it wasn't... Um, you know, an exclusive, oh, the South Coast is thriving. Everywhere was like it. It was just that our hub or so, or our portal was, you know, everyone that was sort of had a, again, had a record label or was making music. We saw each other pretty much on a daily basis back then. Right. Okay. And and, and as for you personally, this is the time for you to, uh, I don't know, you might hide your light under a bushel, but how do you view your personal influence in the development of the 90s rave scene and that happier sound? Come on, you can be big-headed now, mate. No, I know. I, but I just wouldn't ever, I wouldn't say I intentionally set out to say, I'm going to, you know, change this or I'm going to do this. I just did me. Do you know what I mean? And along the way, if that sort of influenced anything or changed anything, I was just driven to just make music, you know, DJ. I just wanted my sets to be the best. I wanted me just to do me. You know, I never really honestly thought past oh, this is going to have an impact with everything. You know, with me, everything sort of progressed. That You know, with the early startings of Essential Platinum, when I, I sort of got to know Dougal really quickly and really well, and we just sort of hit it off. And for two people, I lived in Portsmouth, he lived in Northampton. And, you know, back then we didn't really have, well, we didn't have mobile phones. We had landline numbers and we just, we met through cutting dub plates and we started talking and we just seemed to just completely vibe off of each other's ideas and it was like, right, okay. And I, I, I can remember just vaguely because, again, getting old, my, my brain is definitely freezing slowly. Um, 
you know, we was talking about doing just a track together. We said, look, should we get some ideas together? Let's let's do a tune. And I came away and then I was thinking, do you know what? We need a label. We should just start a label. And I just pulled it up with him the next time we was up in London. And he was like, yes, that's a great idea. Let's just sort of crack on. And it was, you know, that again, it wasn't nothing that I thought, oh, my God, this is going to change other things within the scene. It was just that driving sort of um, force of us. You know, you just thought, right, but this is going to be us. We can then try and get other people on the label. And it's just that next step. Um, and it was the same even with like how bonkers came about and things like that. They were just logical sort of steps that happened, not by chance, but something happened. And then I sat there and I thought, well, actually, if that's going to happen, then what about this? And it was all just around just trying to move things forward, I suppose. So I, I, I get it. A lot of people say, you know, it's lovely to hear when people talk about, um, you know, how much impact your music or mixes or, you know, certain sets. That's the main one for me. When someone brings up a event and they will say how a scouter, what event it was or dreamscape, the number. And they tell you about that set and they go through tunes. And sometimes, you know, I, I honestly wouldn't have a clue what they're talking about. But then they say, well, you play this tune and I know the tune. But I think, oh, my God, that's so cool that now they're still sort of talking about, you know, what we did right back then. So I, I get it. It is lovely. It's, it's very nice to hear. But it's like I said, I, at the time, honestly, I just plodded along. Do you know what I mean? Just did my own thing. It's fascinating to hear uh, how you did it, Ian. And uh, we're going to explore much more of it here on Raw as we continue. We're going to talk more about your early years very shortly here on Raw, the night is very podcast. It's about a pressure. It's about a roar. So still here, I'm delighted to say with the uh, South Coast Don, one of the kings of happy hardcore, it's uh, Ian Hicksie. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hello, Ian. Uh, let's go back to your early years because Ravers the world over know you for being at the front and centre of happy hardcore uh, explosion during the mid-90s. But on raw, we like to go back to get to know you a little bit better. What, what, what were you like as a kid? I mean, you probably weren't. Were you a grumpy kid? <laughs> oh, but I just was... Yeah, I just generally was a proper pain in the ass. <laughs> so anyway, I can say, you know, I, I got into music at a really early age. You know, like I think my first day, I'm sure I was, it was either my 11th or 12th birthday. I think it was my 11th because I, I was just so fascinated with like scratching DMC, the, you know, the early sort of hip, hip hop stuff. Just as a kid, I can just remember they're making all these, noises you know they're doing this sort of stuff that's just like ridiculous this is this is awesome um and i can remember my sort of hi-fi setup i could the it was the days where you had like a phono button for the record player and then the tape button and if i left my finger on the tape button and pushed in and off the phono button i could sort of scratch well not scratch you know not at all i'm not saying i was scratching but in my head, as sort of however old I was, I was, you know, I was living the dream. I was like, I was up there. So, yeah, I, I always said, and again, some of my like school friends, we we all was just in into it so much, you know, even though we couldn't necessarily at that age go raving uh, or go to, you know, there was a few illegal raves sort of going on that we was all like, oh, this stuff's like insane. Um but we was all into the music, you know, we was, we was just like, wow, Beastie Boys and stuff like that was all happening. But uh, the other side of it, there was just all this mad 
beats and bleeps that were just amazing. So, so yeah, do you, do, you, do you view yourself as a musical person or a, a musical child, or or, or is, is this the same thing? Yeah, well, I don't know. I was very lucky. I moaned about it at the time, but my mum and dad, you know, we had music lessons, keyboard lessons, piano lessons. <laughs> and at the time, I moaned about it. And very but, useful in the end. In the end, and I wouldn't say I can't play the keyboard when you've got someone like like Darren Styles, Jace UFO, people like that. When you watch them play the keyboard, you're like, wow, that's amazing. I get by, you know, I can someone can hum me something, I can play it. But yeah, as time went on, it, it was very handy that I've got a just I suppose an ear that that if someone does something, I can I, I can tell whether it's sort of in tune or not in tune, I suppose. Okay. Um, um and when the rave sound first came along, what were the first sort of tracks or track that really stood out for you that made you think, nah, this is a bit of me, this? Well, strangely, one of the really early things that that I got on tape was there was a track called Work It To The Bone and it was um, Easy Posse, Everything Starts With An E. Everything. You know, it was, and, and that was, again, it was that almost little bit tongue-in-cheek, there was something naughty about it. Uh, and I can remember sort of hearing that and being like, whoa, you know, what, what, what is this? And then there are other like bits and bobs, because um, my brother was a lot older. They got Centre Force set copies on, on tape of what Centre Force FM were doing. So I was just, and I used to nag my brother. I'd be like, please, please, give me, give me the tape, give me the tape, please, please, please. And back then, you know, the tapes were a, quite a rarity and it wasn't, um, you know, people didn't duplicate tapes as much. It was just you had this one tape that did the round sort of thing. And I was always like, please just get me anything. And then even the same with um, Steve Jackson on Kiss FM. You know, you'd get one of them tapes and some of them tunes, you'd just be like, oh, God, this is like magic. This is just insanely good. And <clears throat> I suppose along the way, it just all blurred into like going into a rave direction with the music, you know, from more the sort of, like I said, you know, I was mad into run the MC, Beastie Boys, all of my mates were, we just loved, again, anything that was sort of, I suppose for us, it was that real difference of it wasn't commercial. It wasn't pop music. It was just like, Oh, what's this? This is great. Um, so yeah, I love, I love those stories. People say people get in touch with us and they comment about how you know Stu Allen, for instance, is a really good example because he was on the radio and and people are like, we couldn't get it where we were, so we would drive every Sunday night to record it where we were yeah. and play it. And and these stories are just like pre-internet. Some people who listen to this, but you know, who don't know anything other than the internet, will be like, what on earth are these old people talking about? But where, where I lived, um, there's. A- right on the top of Portsdown Hill, some people could get Kiss FM up there. So <sighs> you would be very, very lucky. And like some people put batteries in the back of their stereo, their little ghetto blasters or whatever, to go up there, they'd record it, and they'd, they'd bring it, and you'd listen to it, and it would, like, the, the reception would be in and out. It'd be like awful. But you'd still sit there, and you would analyse every bit of it, because it was... Back then, I don't know, like the pirate radio station 5 as well, it was just like... This is amazing, you know. This is this is something that's quite, you know, a little bit new. It's different, and yes, yeah, well, for me, it was in in Portsmouth. There was a uh, pirate radio station called Delta Force. They started. That was amazing. But again, the signal was just always awful on and off. Uh, and then we'd get Centre Force tapes if we were lucky, and Kiss FM, Steve Jackson bits and bobs. If again, if we were lucky, they just did the rounds. <laughs> Thank you.
We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. Friday the 20th of August 2021. A new event, Return to Source. Celebrating 90s rave, hardcore, jungle, happy hardcore, drum and bass and techno. Touch us down at Suki 10C in Digbeth, Birmingham. We have Fusion South Coast legend DJ Druid, Quest and Fiber Optics DJ Fallout, the uprising northern legend that is DJ Paulo, and London Town's final trickster playing his first happy hardcore set in over 18 years. Tickets are priced at only £14. Just search Facebook and Eventbrite for Return to Source Radio. So what 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 made you go from a tape playing eleven year old to a raver? Um, again, we 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 started buying sort of vinyl, like a group group of my friends. Um, there was a the record shops in Portsmouth. There was one Brazzle, there was Powerhouse, Domino Records, um, and I used to go the DJ who run Razzle Records, uh, Albury. Uh, for me, he's up there as just one of the, the most amazing DJs. You know, I used to just stand in there. And again, I, I must have just annoyed people because I was like, a, you know, at the time, I must have been 13, 14, teenager, pain in the ass again. But I was just I, like mesmerized by anyone that was touching the decks. You know, like even to the fact that he had a new Mark mixer. He had the one with the little sampler button on the side. And I just used to just stand there for like hours, just like mesmerized and probably buy, didn't have like loads amounts of money. So I could probably buy one bit of vinyl every so often, but I'd spend hours in there and it, you know, they'd be forever going, now hey, what about this one? And I'd be like, no, no, keep going, keep going. I'm only, I can only get one record. So keep going. But then um, you would have met, you would have made sure that you got the very best one. So actually it's not a bad system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, what, what were the raves? What was the yeah, first rave? God, I suppose we we went uh, um, like leg legally. Um, the first ones were over. Oh, God, I'm trying to think now. Stearns was was an early one for us. You know, we we all managed to get fake ID and things like that. Um, went there a few times, which you know was unreal. I got snuck into a couple of clubs 
via the back door in Portsmouth, one called Central Brilliant. Park. And that, that was the first time I met Carl Cox. And again, I, they knew I was young um, and they knew I was a kid. And I got plonked in the DJ point or by the DJ booth. To, and I got told, don't fucking move. You're going to get us in trouble. You do not move. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Then. Uh, and, you know, I got to watch, you know, Groove Rider and Fabio back then. That At the time, it was just like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, and yeah, it's the first time um, that I got to see Carl Cox, and he he did like this. Well, he had four decks set up. He was doing this like a three deck thing, but he had four decks on the go, and I was just like, "What? What? What? You, you you're doing my nothing?" Do you know what I mean? Everyone, but and again back then, it was like he just took it to this next level where he was like, "Yeah, I'm a free deck DJ," you know, and, it, and that was such a big thing. You know, it was like, "Oh my god, Carl Cox does three decks." Well, mate, I was expecting. So was, was he? Was he? Was that an inspiration for you to become uh, to go? Oh, I want more than just being a raver. I want. To, I want to be in that DJ booth. Well, yeah, I suppose so. I, I I knew I wanted to be a DJ from as soon as I started buying the the sort of vinyl. You know, I knew. <clears throat> I spoke. Well, not not that I knew I would do it, but you, your dreams or you, in your head, you're thinking, well. You know, all these little events were going off, you know, like in, in, in Portsmouth, you know, like, uh, and again, at this point, we were starting to get access to the sets. So, you know, one of one of my favourite ones, I've been trying to track it down. So if anyone knows of this set, there's a DJ, there's two Frankie, Sh no, there's two Frankie Bones. In Port the Portsmouth South Coast area, there's Frankie Shag Bones. Now, he used to do this thing with the Transformer cutoff thing where he would make it sound like the tracks are gating. But anyway, back in the day, he did a set in Central Park and the tape I bought um, from one of the, the clothes shops in Portsmouth used to do the, the tapes. And on the, I, I must have played this tape, I, I honestly, at that age, I'd say hundreds of hundreds of times. And that was probably the most sort of moment, I'd say, where I was just like, you know, this this DJ is doing stuff to these records that I can hear. And he's making me like these records that, that I like anyway, but he's making me now love them. He's making me think, I want to do this, like what you're doing it. And he, there, there, there's one track and it was a commercial. Well, it wasn't commercial at the time. He dropped uh, Nomad, I Want to Give You Devotion. Devotion. And it hadn't charted at the time, but he did this like game effect with either the crossfader or, or, or the cutoff switch. And I, I was just like, this, I, I, this is like mind-blowing to me this is insane and I suppose maybe yeah from there on in it was just my goal to just I just wanted to DJ and you know we would take our sort of setups to to our little local youth club and you know the people that were all sort of into it we we just you know anything even like, like the ghetto blaster in our youth club you know, we're, there'd all be a few of us that would sit there, you'd put, press play on the tape, and then we'd all be pissing around with the EQ just to, to piss around, you know what I mean? We'd be, like, turning the bass on and off and just doing all that. So I suppose, yeah, again, it just sort of evolved progressively, you know, well, quite rapidly once I started getting more and more vinyl. Um, so what, what was your what was your first gig? Because our researcher thinks it was a small rave on the Isle of Wight called Overload. Is that right? 92, 93? Very clever, yes. Thank you. Uh, well, we'll pass that on. It's I can't take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, very clever. Yes, it was. Um, and you know, I was I was on there as Hicks, my last name, just H I C K S. But and it was really weird, even with my name. My nickname was always Hicksy, 
it never had an X in it or nothing. Well, I suppose when you were at school and things, you never really wrote your, your name down like that. Um, that sort of came a little bit later, I suppose, when... when um, I, I can't remember how it changed. I can remember, like, I did the Isle of Wight gig and then there was a few others that sort of came up and it just didn't, I didn't like it on the flyer. It sort of, I don't know, it just didn't look like what some of the other DJs looked like. Um, so I put an X in it, one X in it at the time. So it was Hicks and I wrote it down and I was like, and I'll put another one. So it was H-I-X-X. So there were some gigs and even my, like the first release I did on RSR is DJ Hicks. And um, <clears throat> it was Ramos, actually. We was down the record shop just chatting. And he was like, why are you Hicks? We all call you Hicksy. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a bit of a fucking no-brainer. I was a bit like, yeah, a bit of a no-brainer. Ramos was just like, everyone calls you Hicksy. You know, and I'd been called Hicksy for, you know, all, all pretty much. So they, well, it's must- so- it served you quite well, to be honest, in years to come. What what sort of stuff were you playing in those early days of those early raves? And was it 92, 93? Yeah, oh, just all, all the real obvious breakbeat rave stuff, you know, like all the acing stuff, anything on XL, anything, anything obviously by Slipmat. He's just a dickhead it, ever come it, to it, music back then. He's just insanely talented, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, top bloke. Yeah. Yeah, he's a So, and then it must have gone quite well because uh, you've had a career out of it. So, uh, something went well in that first gig. When did you then start to break out and do uh, bigger gigs, maybe raves that were outside of the South Coast, that sort of stuff? Um, God, uh, date wise, I, I don't know. It just sort of again, it blurs. Sort of, it just all led on to each other that you'd get a local, really local sort of gig. And then someone that was there would then say, look, where get you? And you'd, you'd sort of, and I can remember the first time I travelled down to Cornwall, uh, we did a club that a lot of people know down there called the Shy Horse. And it's like nuts. The place was like like a, a complete eye-opener again for me. You know, it was just like I walked in and it was like, wow, this is, this is nuts. You know, and then from there, then you'd get another gig just up the road. And then I can remember getting my first sort of gigs in Wales and, even like Scotland, you know, when that first happens, you'd just be like, hang on. And it, they were always little ones. And, you know, you were never you'd inside yourself. You'd always want a better time. You know, you'd always want that. You'd always be like, no, I, I want this time. I want that time. But, you know, you just you just took what you took. And, um, you know, I see a lot of it now where people are like, oh, I never got good times on event. It never happened. It never happened. Mate, I used to have to drive to Dielectric Club in Diard and I'd be doing opening nine to ten. I've done it time and time and time again. You know, you just got to just get on with it. And I suppose if you offer something that people like or the promoter likes and can see things happening, um, you know, it's like the, the back rooms. You know, I was forever in back rooms and I just, I'd be gutted because I'd think, no, I should be main bloody stage. You know, you, your head would be bigging yourself up thinking, I want this, I want that. But after time, when I started seeing I was getting the back rooms busier, that's when my head changed a bit. And I thought, ah, OK, you know, and I've had a couple of times promoters come up to me and was like, you know, you've caused a bit of mayhem tonight. We've had a bit of a queue trying to get into room two through ah. one. So we're going to we'll sort you out next time. And that's when you sort of think, OK, all right, maybe something's happening now. And, and that's the thing. I think it's hard because your head is always miles ahead of probably where you are 
Do you know what I mean? You're always thinking, mate, I, I, I'm, I'm there. I should be up there with bloody stick, Matt. And I should be, you know, 12 till one. And I've, I've got to be the highlight because I'm, I've got all this music to play. But in reality, it's not, you know, that's not how it works. And it took, it did take me a while to start working that out. And I suppose that was probably, you know, I'm still learning now, but, you know, 94, 95, I learned quite quickly that it's like, well, you know, not everyone knows who you are. Not not everyone knows your music. They might know the tunes, but they won't put that tune with you. You know, and that and that's still the same today. You know, there's still, you know, there's there's some amazing producers out there trying to break through, but they've still just got to get past that knowledge of someone loving the tune, but not realising, oh, that's by that artist or that's by yeah. that person. So yeah, back then it's uh and and did you what did your parents think about the uh, your your desire to become a DJ because it's um I mean it's like saying you want to be a footballer and it's uh, you know it's it, it's difficult to do. Yeah, I mean luckily my mum and dad are so supportive and and again now me at my age I realize how good they were. You know, the 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 my bedroom was above the kitchen. Now, I had it so loud one day in my my room as a teenager that the kitchen lights they were like um the the long strip lights fell off the ceiling and smashed but my mum and dad was obviously i got a bollock in but you know it's things like that and then um you know the neighbors didn't really like the music you know they definitely didn't like it and they had the odd little grumble to my mum and dad but my mum and dad just like oh look he's, he's all right and I, I, I never took the mic it was never late at night um, it was it was just every so often, but they were massively supportive, and right. I suppose because they saw that it was something that actually really sort of interests me. I got excitement from it. I was forever talking about it. I was forever, you know, like I said, badgering them because back then it wasn't when I was a teenager. Our, my income was coming from my parents, so it was sort of like. Oh, I want to get this record, but it's an import mark. And that was the thing. It's things like that. Now think of that. An import was more money than a UK track. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes you'd be like, oh, please, please, please. I just need like an extra few quid. Come on. Um, and they were. And I can remember the sort of turning point uh, for my dad, uh, especially when he sort of sat me down, was, you know, my first release had happened uh, on RSR. And very quickly back then, you 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 would see a return. Um, and Ramos, Supreme, Sunset Regime. Um, but next time I saw him, they was like, we got a check for you. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. And they gave me this check and, and my head was like, okay. All <laughs> right. And I tried to act sort of a bit cool and I was like, okay. How much was you. it? How much was it? Uh, it was just over a grand. Lovely so stuff. I was, I was like, okay. And, you know, I was like sort of thinking, right, be cool, be cool, be cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I took it home and I, I showed, showed my dad and he was like, hey. And I was like, well, that, that, that's, that's the sort of first lot of royalties, dad. And he was Brilliant. like, oh, OK. And then he said, so how do we develop this then? Could, do, you know, <laughs> we can get this sort of like changing so, you know, you, you can do this more. And I was like, well, yeah, I can, I could, I could do this full time. I think, I think I've got a good shot at it. And again, it, it just carried on, you know, we, 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 and, and it's like even sort of like the, the, it, it, it's a hard one to talk about. I always sort of say to people that this is a job for me, it is a job, but it's a bloody brilliant job. Do you know what I mean? It's such a good job, but it is a job. And, and, you know, so, so for me to do this as a job that I have to make an income. Um, and 
in, with some people, they, they sort of think, well, you should just do that for nothing. I'll do that for nothing. I would do that for nothing. Don't get me wrong. I would do this for nothing. If it wasn't my job, I'd still be doing it. I'd still be cracking on and I'd still be trying. However, it's the best way for me to make a living. It's awesome. Do you know what I mean? I still get to do something that really is still the fire still in me that I love music. I love DJing. Might not look like it when I'm DJing. I've got the face of thunder on sometimes, but I'm, you know, I'm loving it. And I, whilst I say I'm lucky to have this as a, as a job, I've got the job still for, for a reason. Do you know what I mean? There's obviously, I'm putting stuff out there that someone wants. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, back then, yeah, I, I can just remember my dad's face. It was brilliant. I wish I had a camera, actually, just to re-show him and just go, look at your face. <laughs> uh, but yeah they were massively supportive it was so you know useful. all my family were i i'm quite strange I, i've never um i didn't really keep flyers i didn't keep magazines i've not kept all my vinyl that i've released i regret it now massively like massively but luckily my family kept bits and bobs they you know they were just like in just brilliant you know everything no. they, they, they had little pictures on the wall and everything and i was just like okay but now where I'm like, oh, especially with my kids, because I can't, I haven't been able to show them everything physically. I've had to show them stuff online. You know, I ain't got all the Bonkers albums, which sounds mental. Do you know what I mean? It sounds bizarre, but I just, when I got them, because you'd always get a couple of boxes and I'd just give them away to people. They'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and it's like, even recently, I had someone sort of ask for a, a request to something for someone's birthday. And I was like, do you know what? I, I physically haven't got an album that I could even give you at the moment. And I, madly, I've, I've got into Discogs lately. It's a bit addictive, Discogs. I've done, during lockdown, I'm not, well, I'm not even going to say, but the postman look, knocks on the door and he's like, more for you. And I'm like, well, yeah. And it's so addictive. But the problem is the Bonkers album, some of them are mentally priced now. And I'm really? like, how much? Oh. Well, some of Bonkers ones, they're sort of like 60 quid upwards. Wow. You know what I mean? And you're thinking, well, I want to get the whole collection. I think it's Bonkers. What did I have turn up? I did get a Bonkers one. Um, I don't know where it's in these drawers. Hang on. That's brilliant. Collecting Bonkers back, at, uh, back again. Know. It's mental, isn't it? <laughs> oh, this is my latest one I bought. I had to buy a Clubland Extreme 9 because I ain't got that. They're the, the other ones. I've not got the Clubland Extreme albums. I'm an idiot. But I think it's just, I don't know. I'm a dickhead. Well, I've got to say, I, who, I don't know who owns the rights, but I know that Vibalite still make quite a lot of money selling their ta their CD packs, like still regularly, and they're all online. You're like, yeah. oh, I, so there you go, Ian. Maybe well, maybe you could become some sort of uh, collector or uh, yeah, or dealer. I the thing I think has got back to people wanting a bit of physical, rather than just downloading something. There is nothing better than having a bit of vinyl that you can sort of like hold and touch. And even with it, and again, CDs, I know it's bizarre because you can just click it online. It's not as nice as sort of vinyl, but yeah, physical copies. And why I, I regret that probably the main one I regret is not keeping flyers. I really wish I'd kept more flyers because I know some of um, the, the, the boys have kept all their flyers and, you know, they show me little clips or then they've posted something online. I think, oh, man, I'd love to look through my flyer collection now. Well, they are worth quite a bit of money. So uh, what a shame you didn't, really. Um, yeah, just, I, won't, uh, I won't be buying them, I can tell you. No, indeed. 
They are hugely expensive. I think your partner might not might have words to say about that. You bought, you're already buying the bloody CDs, Ian, and no flyers. Um, and uh, before we just sort of uh, go into the next section, I, I'm interested. We've asked about your um, DJs that inspired you, and you said Slipmat and Carl Cox, etc. Uh, what about MCs? What is your take on MCs? Are you are you a fan? I know you are one from time to time, as we've mentioned. <laughs> um. I, I've always been MC led, you know, from from the early days. Top Buzz um, from Portsmouth, there was a MC called Lucky, um, and they were always they were the sections of the tape you remembered, you know, because they'd say something that either made you laugh or made you think, oh, "I wish I was there." Or so, you know, growing up, um, you know, Top Buzz, I'd say Mad P, just hugely influential on just sort of everything, um, and you know, even now. When you've got an MC, an MC can grab a crowd, a good MC can grab a crowd with or without a mic. And there are some MCs that I watch come on stage and they just absolutely mesmerise the, the crowds, you know. And then when they start doing bits and bobs from the early days right the way through till now, and they're still doing that thing, I think an MC... Uh, whilst yeah, I was Larry and I got on the mic and shouted a bit sometimes. Um, I couldn't do a whole set that you know, it's insane. You know, I think it's so clever what they do. Um, yeah, I, I've always been MC led. I, I prefer an MC, I like them coming through my monitors. I can, you know, work out what I'm doing when I'm hearing what they're doing. Some people, you know, some DJs don't like it coming through the monitors, but I much prefer it. Um, but yeah, back in the day. I'd say, you know, Mad Pig, Top Buzz, you just amazing. Well, if anyone, if, if anyone, um, if, I was going to say, if anyone wants to hear Ian MCing, uh, they should just go online to the Millennium Jam uh, Dougal set uh, and you will hear a Pompey accented <laughs> uh, Ian shouting. I, you're actually quite good, mate. Honestly, I, I, you know, I listened to it because we we had a we had a question uh, from an MC Hurricane, in fact, who was back to back with you on that set, saying, "Does he remember?" You know, he was lovely to me. He was great, and actually, I listened to it. I'm like, I've heard a lot worse. So there you go, uh, mate. I, I think I just did it. I don't know. I don't know why I did it. Sometimes I did it because the the mic got left, or you know, there was no MC at all. And I don't know. I don't know. You know, I did. Um, a few times I went went uh, over to America with Force and Styles, and you know over there I'd MC for them, but not MC. I would say stuff on the mic. I won't say MC, um, but yeah, I've I've always liked the MC inside of things. I, again, I was lucky to be knocking around with Marley, you know, from from a young nipper age, watching him. Just oh, again, he's just another one of those MCs. He's very like um, Mad P for me because he just just says. Bits and you just go, oh, that's so good. It's so good. And 90 from the coast as well. He was another one that was just massively influential of, you know, what I liked and what what I, I just used to buzz. You know, some some MCs um, that come on my set, I get so excited because they're on my set. I'm still, you know, at my age, I still stand there and go, mm, they're on my set. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, very sweet. You dickhead. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> But yeah, I do. I still get excited working with with MCs. I, I, you know, I don't want to say the MCs I don't enjoy working with. No, probably just, sensible. You know, but I, I do. I get I get excited by it. I think it's it's great. You know, there has up till recently. There's been, 
you know, this sort of debate of the MCs, oh, is it right for the music and things like that? And I think um, there are certain evolutions of the music that it doesn't fit as well. But what some of the MCs have done, they've learned to just sort of change as well. And they go in different sections of the track. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now it works. There you go. That that's that's that. And then and that's the thing, I think, is just sort of evolution, I suppose. You you have moments with everything in, in music, whether it's DJs evolving, MCs have evolved a lot. Um, and yeah, it's just eventually everything finds its sort of fit again. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer. But that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi. Oh, sorry, mate. Hang on. I should have said All right, that. mate.